Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We got to be faithful in praise. I think sometimes uh, as believers that that can be left out. That, that prayer always sounds like, God, give me, help me, do this for me, provide this for me. Where there should be a, a good amount of prayer that sounds like, Lord, thank you. You've been so faithful. Um, that we're just acknowledging God, we're admiring God, we're worshiping God. I mean, all the things she does, she, she's uh, acknowledging the Lord, worshiping Him for His character, His attributes, His nature, His character. Is there a common theme to your prayer life? The Lord wants to hear our pleas and petitions, but He is also worthy of our praise. In today's message, Pastor Bill will give some guidance on prayer as he challenges listeners to consider how much of their prayer time is filled with adoration of the Lord. There are many examples in Scripture of faithful individuals who did not neglect worshiping the Lord in prayer. Everything about Him is worthy of our praise. How will you praise Him more in your life today? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2, as he begins his message, A Tale of Two Households. There was a woman named Hannah, She was married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah had taken on two wives because we believe that the reason he took on the second wife was because Hannah was barren. The scripture said specifically that the Lord had closed her womb, and we talked about how that God, for his own divine purpose, withheld this from Hannah for a time, though he would allow her to to have a child later. We'll see tonight. So um, Hannah was being... uh, tormented, taunted, vexed, living in a house with another woman who's sharing her husband. And this woman is, um, as Pastor Anthony quoted me, spitting out babies like Skittles. And uh, and she is, you know, she's having kids and she's teasing her, making her life miserable, uh, the scripture said. And so there was the annual time they would go up to, to Shiloh to seek the Lord and to worship. And when Hannah got there, she just, she didn't want to eat. She fasted. She prayed and she cried out her heart to the Lord, uh, so much so that Eli, the priest, initially thought maybe she was drunk uh, because her mouth was moving, but no words were coming out. But once they got that cleared up and she said, look, I I am I have sorrow of spirit. You know, I want a child. And she had made this vow that if God would give me a son, I would give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. And Eli said, you have your request. And she received it in faith. Soon as she got that word from Eli, the priest, she went home and ate. Uh, She went into the tent with her husband. Uh, The Bible says that they came together and God gave her this son, Samuel, whose name means asked of God. Samuel was asked for um, from the Lord. She asked for him. And so the commitment that she made that she would give him back to the Lord, uh, it was now time to fulfill that commitment. Last week when her husband was going up to worship, um, she hadn't weaned him yet. We talked about how the, the age of weaning back then, it could have been three, five, seven years old. It was much different than today. I also learned that back then that that was even something that they used for uh, as, a, as, a, as a birth control measure. But, um, you know, she whenever she finished weaning him, she kept her word. And we're going to see today that she was going to bring him to the temple and she took him there that he might be there to serve the Lord. And I want you to think about this because normally, you know, when priests would come into their, if you had been born as a Levite, when you would come into the priesthood, you came in your 20s. But, you know, this is a unique situation where Samuel was coming as a a much younger guy 
into a place, into a, a position and a place of, of serving the Lord in this way. And so something that people oftentimes forget, you know, Hannah was fervent in her prayer about what she was asking God to do. But I want you to note today that she's also going to be fervent in her giving of thanks for what the Lord has done. Sometimes people are, are real faithful about praying for what they want God to do. And then when God does it, they're like, Phew, thank you. You know, they're not as fervent in the giving of thanks. They're not as faithful to, to worship and praise the Lord for what he has done. Well, the first 11 verses, uh, we call it Hannah's song. And she's rejoicing. Now, we're going to see a few things. There's, uh, the you know, the first couple of verses, she's kind of praised her praise to God for what he's done. Um, we're going to see that she kind of she kind of spills her heart a little bit about Penina, who who was tormenting her, that that comes out in her speech and not in her speech, but in her song. And then um, and then she just really kind of, you know, gives thanks to the Lord for what he has done. So let's look at it with me. First uh, Samuel, chapter two, it says, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. That word horn, it, just, it was always symbolic of strength and, and, and um, posterity. And so it, it, basically your child can be considered that. She, this is the, the, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Um, my strength is exalted. She says, I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Who do you think her enemies were? Penina, that's yeah, one enemy. She's like, I, I can smile in her face now because of God's salvation. Maybe, you know, but it, it's just a word for us. She's like, I'm, I'm not bothered by what my enemy's doing now because I'm just rejoicing in what God has done. That should be a word for us, man, that we, we should be so caught up in what God has done that we can smile at our enemies. We can smile at those that are coming against us because, because of his salvation in our life, because of what God has done for us. And so, um, she says, I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse two. And again, this is just to the Lord. She says, no one is holy like the Lord. There's none like him. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And so I just want you to hear the overflow. She is grateful. She is thankful and she is giving it up to the Lord. Um, she says, Lord, there is none like you. There is none beside you. There is no other rock like our God. And she rejoices. Now, starting in verse three, you know, we, we see her, you know, how she feels about Penina. This kind of comes out. It says, talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven and she who has many children has become feeble. And so a few things here. She says, when she says talk no more very proudly, she's no longer talking to the Lord in her prayer and her praise. She is, she is addressing this woman. She is saying, look, don't talk proudly anymore. Um, you know, the Lord is God. He's a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed out. In other words, God saw what you were doing. God sees what is taking place. The bows of mighty men are broken. Those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired them. She's given this, these, these parallels. Those who were full, they had it all going on. Now they've hired themselves out for bread. Just think about that. If you, if you had everything and now you're so broke that you're selling yourself for bread, um, she's given these, these distinctions and parallels 
But again, I believe that she's addressing her adversary, her enemy. The hungry have ceased to hungry. Those that were in need have had their needs met. And then she says this, even the barren has born seven. Now, this one was interesting um, because uh, ultimately Hannah's only had one child. And when she's all said and done, she has five more. She has six total. And, you know, so I, I would look at this and wonder, is this prophetic? Is she prophesying about herself that even the barren is born seven? I've looked at it. There are a few different ways people have looked at this. Some have looked at this and said, well, seven is a number of perfection. So, you know, she saw this one as, as perfection. Um, some have said, well, she had six. Maybe she lost one. I, I don't really have a, a solid, you know, solidify you know we know that she had six total and um so either one of those he says even the baron is born seven if that's in reference to her you know one thought is that it's just the number of completion i have exactly what god has for me again the other thought is that maybe there was a child that she lost somewhere that we don't we don't know about i don't know i, I don't i don't really cling to that one as as tightly but it says and she who has born she who has many children has become feeble. And again, she's given this, this things of change. You know, the, the, the direction has changed for this one that was doing so well initially. Uh, verse six, now she goes back to speaking about the Lord. Verses six to 11, uh, verse six to 10, I'm sorry, she's talking about the Lord. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up, when you think of the, the resurrection here, she said that God can bring down, God can also bring up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he lifts up. Um, she's acknowledging in this praise that God is sovereign over everything. Um, he raises up one, puts down another. He makes rich, he makes poor. Um, he's in charge. He's sovereign over it all. Verse eight, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. And so again, just here, just the, the picture of raising up the poor from the dust and lifting up the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit glory in the throne of glory. She says, God does these things. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. And again, she's just proclaiming and professing in this song God's sovereignty, God's protection, um, God, how he guards his saints, but he deals with the wicked. She is glad now. This woman that was just, it looked like just moments ago, she was crying her eyes out. Now she is just overflowing with gratefulness and thankfulness and praise to the Lord. At the end of verse nine, she says, for by strength, no man shall prevail. There's no man going to be strong enough by himself to prevail against the Lord. Verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven, he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And again, uh, there, you, you can't miss it. Some of these things feel there's a, a prophetic nature to, to even her thanks and her praise here that, you know, just in this is future. The adversaries of the Lord are going to be broken in pieces. They will. From heaven, he's going to thunder against them. We see that. Um, the Lord is going to judge to the end of the earth. Yes, he will. We see all of that transpire eventually. And then he says he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
All of this we know to be true um, through the rest of Scripture. And so uh, this is Hannah's praise. And I, I would I would close that portion with just a couple of thoughts uh, for us to just consider. And I, I think it's important that we would be just as faithful in our seeking, in our praying, in our crying out. We got to be faithful in praise. I think sometimes uh, as believers that that can be left out, that that prayer always sounds like God, give me, help me, do this for me, provide this for me, where there should be a, a good amount of prayer that sounds like, Lord, thank you. You've been so faithful um, that we're just acknowledging God. We're admiring God. We're worshiping God. I mean, all the things she does, she, she's uh, acknowledging the Lord, worshiping him for his character, his attributes, his nature, his character. Um, there was a, a long time ago, there was a series on prayer that uh, Miles McPherson did, and he gave this acronym, AWSIPA. And I remember it really helped me organize my prayer life. I don't know how you guys, but sometimes I would lay down on the floor and pray and I would feel like didn't matter how long I prayed, I would forget something because my prayers would be all over the place. You know, I had to catch my mind. My mind would be outside running. I had to catch it and bring it back down to prayer. And this thing kind of gave some direction to the prayer. And so the, the acronym all sip it, it was admire God. And he said, just just do each one until you exhaust it. So spend some time admiring God, his attributes, his nature. God, you're faithful. You're loving. You're, you know, just all the things you can you can think of about the Lord. Exhaust yourself there. Then worship him. If you want to sing, sing a song. Worship can also be spoken, but just spend some time in worship. Just worship him for who he is and what he's done, even personally in your life. Then the C is confession. Confess your sins to God. And as long as it takes, confess them, be specific, but get clean before the Lord. Confess your sins, then your intercessions. Now I'm praying for other people and what they need and people that have asked me for prayer. Then my own petitions. This is what I'm needing. This is what I'm seeking God about. Then when I'm done doing all that, admire God some more. It did so much for me to just kind of have some order. I would I would lay down and do that and I would come away just saying, man, now I, I feel like I covered it all. You know, I, you know, and so that helps someone here. We want to get good about praise and adoration and worship along with our petitions and our intercessions and those things. So look at verse 11 now of First Samuel chapter 2. It says, then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. And so they left this child there before Eli the priest, little Samuel. And I want you to think of what a, what a huge challenge or sacrifice or difficulty any mom here that you would take up your little guy and say I made a commitment I've committed him to the Lord no doubt in those younger years um you know she was ministering to Samuel about what he was to be uh, what God had for him how he was going to serve the Lord she was preparing him for this day um but I want you to think about when the day actually comes and you got to give this kid to the Lord you got to say here God I'm leaving him here at the tavern I'm leaving him here at the place of service to you he's going to serve you here and she left him there in obedience and, and basically in, in faithfulness to what she had vowed before the Lord. Now, here's what's amazing. We haven't seen yet how bad things were in the priesthood, but we're going to get a glimpse in tonight. There's a priest on deck at this time is Eli. We're going to see that Eli is a horrible father. Eli's two sons, we're going to see tonight that these guys don't know the Lord and they are doing unthinkable things in God's house to God's people. And Eli is not restricting them. He's not confronting them. He's not disciplining them. He's allowing it to go on. And so when I call this the tale of two households, because we're looking at one household where they do a very difficult thing. 
I committed to the Lord. I'm giving my kid to God. And now I'm physically actually bringing this kid and leaving him with the Lord. We had a little bit of time to train him up, to raise him up, to pour into him, to speak God's word over him, to tell him what he was called to be. But now we've given him to the Lord. And we got this other guy whose sons were born into the priesthood. They're there with him. And dad's just not doing his job. So one last word about Samuel before we move on. I hope it will encourage other parents. If as a parent and you, you pray for your kid, you seek the Lord on their behalf. If God shows you what your child is to be, if God shows you um, something that he has put in them or whatever, I think it's important as parents that we speak that to them, um, that we share with them. Hey, I, as I pray for you, this is something God spoke to me about you. And I want to just put that in their hearts. I want to tell them what it is. Um, sometimes we don't know what they're specifically called to be. I'm going to tell you what God has called you to do in general. God's called you to be this, at least this we know, you know, um, but parents, it's our job to speak God's word to our kids, uh, to encourage them, challenge them even about God's call upon their life, how their lives are purposeful and meaningful in the Lord. They need to hear that from you. In particular, if there's something you know specifically, you got to tell that to them. You know, we got to speak that to them. Let them hear it from mom and dad. Let them hear it until God confirms it in their own hearts. So I believe Samuel was hearing that from a young age, and we're going to see that his life goes on to be one of, of great usefulness in the hand of God. So I thought this is interesting as well. Look, as God the Father gave up his son Jesus to a greater and a divine purpose, so too Hannah and Elkanah gave up their promised son for God's divine purpose. God needed a man of God in the temple, and he had to get a little bitty guy to raise up a man of God in the tabernacle of this time. And so it's similar to what Abraham was called to do, to take his only son and, and offer him back to the Lord. Oftentimes, God will take that which is dear to us and say, give it back to me. Well, watch what I do with it. Give it back to me and watch what I do with it. They gave this kid to God, and we know the rest of the book, many of us, we know that God used him. This guy was a leader to kings over generations. I mean, God used his life in a significant way. And so now let's look at verse 12 as we compare and contrast this jacked up household of Eli. Everything I'm about to read you about Eli is what you don't want to do, what you don't want to be, and I'll highlight it as we go, all right? Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. First thing the Holy Spirit says about them, his sons are corrupt, and they did not know the Lord. So imagine this, these guys work in the, they're, they're doing priest work. As people bring their sacrifices, everything else, these guys are there ministering in the house of the Lord. And it says they don't know the Lord and they're corrupt. Can you imagine that? Uh, and I think some of you can, because I've seen that happen today in the church where there are people that are leading churches and they don't even know the Lord and they're corrupt and they do heinous, unthinkable, ungodly things. And it gets exposed and it makes the church look bad when it really should just make them look bad. But. Needless to say, these guys are there serving. They don't know the Lord and they are corrupt. Verse 13. And the, the priest custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So let me explain what's happening here. The priests were in charge of the offering. So when people would want to worship the Lord and bring their offering to God, they brought it to the priest. 
and the priest would take the offering. God had been very fair with the priest. The priests were always going to be taken care of. There was a portion that God had allotted for the priests, a portion of the boiled meat they were to take so that they could they could eat, that they would be able to, the priests were living off of that. But what Eli's sons were doing, when people would come and they would bring the portion for the Lord, before it was even finished boiling, they would throw a, a hook in and pull out whatever they wanted. So it would be equivalent to this. Imagine that you came to church and we took up offering. And as the offering was going out, imagine that the, the pastor's kids were running in and grabbing out as much as they wanted and taking it. And there's nothing you could do about it. What would you guys, I mean, y'all wouldn't give, right? Y'all would be like, I'm not giving to your little raggedy kids. You're going to take it and, you know, go do whatever. That's essentially what his kids were doing. And so it's going to say that people would abhor the offering, it caused people to just say, ah, I don't want to do this. You know, people that wanted to worship, they wanted to give to the Lord. They were being stumbled by what was going on. Now, whose fault is it? Right. His sons are corrupt. They're evil. What they're doing is wrong. But who's in charge? Who's responsible for this? Eli is right. If those are your kids, what do you need to do? You know what they butt? beat them down. Do something. <laughs> you, got, you can't just let that go on. There's a responsibility that parents have. You got to bring the discipline. You can't let your kids behave like that, especially not in God's house. This is not your house. This is God's stuff. And um, so anyway, I, I, I could go on. But verse 14, it says it's, it's more. Then they would thrust it into a pan, the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all the, the flesh has brought up. So they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites who came there. Verse 15. Also, before they burned the fat, which... You weren't supposed to take it before you burned the fat. The fat was supposed to burn and be a sweet smelling savor and aroma to God. But they would take the meat before the fat was burned because they wanted meat. They didn't. They weren't content with the boiled meat God was providing. They're basically saying, no, we want we're going to barbecue for ourselves. We're going to do it our way. We're not we're not content with what God has provided for us. We're going to take what we want and have it our way. Verse 15. So before the fat, they burned the fat. The priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat. For roasting to the priests, for we will take it not boiled, we will take not boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, No, but you must must give it to us now, and if not, we will take it by force. Y'all reading this? I mean, imagine going to worship and these young men are behaving this way. Give it to us like we said. If somebody dared speak up and said, hey, hey, bro, look, the Bible says that the fat is to be burned. To the, let's let us burn to the, the fat to the Lord. You take as much as you want. No, we'll take everything we want now. And and it basically, if you won't give it to us, we'll take it by force. They're jacking people in the house of the Lord. That's what they were doing. By, we're going to take it by force. I want to make bad sound bad because when you see what God does to them, I want you all to understand that they had it coming. Right. The God, God let this go on for so long. But you don't want to be messing with God's people. You don't want to be messing with God's stuff. A, a day will come where God says, that's that's about enough right there. So I, I tell you guys, when we see these things happen in churches and we see men take advantage of God's people and these things, know this about those men. Those men got to stand before God one day. All those men that have ripped people off, that have told women to send in, it's, it's December 9th. You got to send a $90 blessing you know, for the next nine days and all these little gimmicks that they do on Tristan TV. Those men, Peter Popoff, selling water and, and all kind of stuff like that. You know, those men, those people got to stand before God one day. Can you imagine? 
You imagine that, that you're going to stand before God and, and, and he heard those sermons. He saw you taking advantage of his people. We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're currently in the book of 1 Samuel. Many of the childhood Bible stories stem from this book. David is a main character, and he came from humble means. He was a simple shepherd boy, but God had great things in mind for him. He was a musician also, and this served him well as he was able to help King Saul. But more than these occupational type of skills, David had a heart for God like no other. God refers to David as a man after his own heart. What a compliment coming from the very creator of everything. This doesn't mean that David was perfect. As we all know, he wasn't. But his heart was continually coming back to God, seeking help, asking for refuge, and coming back with a repentant heart. This is the type of heart God wants from each of us. Do you find yourself looking up to David and his character? If you'd like to learn more about David in 1 Samuel, feel free to listen to more teachings from this series on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this eventful book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more in the coming edition of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep your head in the Word and your heart close to God. Then, make sure to come back for another insightful edition of A Transforming Word.